This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals only. Welcome to the first ever episode of the Oncology Knowledge into Practice podcast, where we discuss game-changing topics in clinical oncology with leading experts in the field. In this first series, we're going to look at a relatively new class of drugs that are definitely a hot topic right now, the immune checkpoint inhibitors. This episode is supported by an educational grant from Merck Sharp and Dome Corp, who has had no influence on the content or choice of faculty. If you'd like to check out any of the publications that we mentioned in this episode, there's references and links for these in the episode notes. We're your hosts, Hannah Wilgar and Andre Grasso. In today's episode, we're going to be looking at how a patient's PDL1 status can or cannot influence treatment decisions in oncology. So to answer some key questions on this topic, we've invited Vaibhav Patel to join us later in the episode, who is an assistant director of clinical trials at Mount Sinai West Hospital in New York. But first, we're going to spend a few minutes covering the available published literature. If you're already familiar with PDL1 as a predictive biomarker, do feel free to skip ahead to the interview at the five-minute mark. So, ever since immune checkpoint inhibitors were introduced into routine practice, PDL1 has been explored as a predictive biomarker to direct the use of this class of drugs. But its use in practice has been mixed across the various tumor types where PDL1 and PD1 inhibitors are indicated. Uh, as one example, it can be used in lung cancer to distinguish patients who are eligible for first-line monotherapy from those who might be better suited to a combination of checkpoint inhibitor and chemotherapy. But is there a pattern to the significance of PDL1 status? Uh, and what about patients who fall short of the specific PDL1 thresholds? PDL1 expression is typically measured in one of two ways: the tumor proportion score or TPS or the combined positive score, or CPS. The difference between these two scoring systems is best summarized by Karina Kulongara et al. in their 2019 paper on the utility of CPS. TPS is calculated as a percentage, comparing the number of PDL1 stained tumor cells versus the total number of viable tumor cells. In essence, estimating that within a sample how many viable tumor cells express PDL1. The CPS is calculated by combining TPS with the mononuclear immune cell density score, or MIDS. MIDS is the ratio of PDL1 stained immune cells compared to the total number of viable tumor cells. By combining these two scores, the CPS considers PDL1 expression on both tumor and immune cells, producing a score directly and reproducibly by a pathologist in one review of the slide and on a scale with similar resolution as TPS alone. As it stands, however, CPS is yet to be widely used. Looking across prescribing information for pembrolizumab, nivolumab and atezolizumab, the only mention of CPS is for pembrolizumab's indications in urothelial carcinoma, head and neck squamous cell cancer, or HNSCC, gastric cancer, esophageal cancer and cervical cancer. At the time of recording, all other pdl one based indications across these agents use TPS. So to look at TPS in more detail, what does it mean? Generally speaking, there are three TPS scores that translate to PDL1 status. A score below 1% identifies a patient as PDL1 negative. Depending on tumor type and line of therapy, this lack of expression may exclude a patient from receiving an immune checkpoint inhibitor. Similarly, a score above 1% identifies a patient as PDL1 positive, which is a basic requirement for some indications. A more complex PDL1 status, however, is what is called a high expressor. This is typically a TPS of 50% or higher, which has varying clinical relevance depending on the type of cancer. 
In non-small cell lung cancer, or NSCLC, guidelines recommend that people with a PDL1 TPS of 50% or above receive pembrolizumab monotherapy as a first-line treatment option in the metastatic setting. While additional factors such as high tumor burden may direct these patients to still receive a combination of checkpoint inhibitor plus chemotherapy, only those who meet this TPS threshold are considered eligible for monotherapy. However, this leaves a very broad borderline between people who are PDL1 positive and those who are considered high expressors. Any TPS between 1 and 49% is not considered a high expressor, and this creates ambiguity among people within this group. For example, if a patient has an estimated TPS of 40%, but other factors contraindicate combination therapy, such as poor performance status, should checkpoint monotherapy be considered instead? A relaxation of the 50% threshold has been proposed following the Keynote 42 trial, which evaluated pembrolizumab monotherapy versus platinum-based chemotherapy in NSCLC patients of varying PDL1 expression. Overall survival in this trial was assessed using TPS cutoffs of 50%, 20%, and 1%, and the trial concluded that overall survival was significantly longer in the pembrolizumab group versus the chemotherapy group across all three PDL1 thresholds, with a numerical trend towards longer overall survival with higher PDL1 expression. However, as noted by Jose Pacheco in 2019, this trial did not include those with an ECOG performance status of 2 or higher. And so the question remains whether this more frail patient group would benefit from a less toxic regimen. A number of other trials have explored alternative PDL1 thresholds, including above 5% and above 10%. In their 2019 meta-analysis of 15 randomized trials of NSCLC patients, Zhu and colleagues concluded that while patients with a higher PDL1 expression may see an increased benefit from PD1 PDL1 inhibitors, all subgroups saw improved outcomes compared to their respective controls. Overall, this leaves a number of unanswered questions surrounding PDL1 status. For example, what is the relevance of PDL1 status across tumor types? And can borderline status direct treatment? Joining us today to help answer some of these lingering questions is Dr. Viahav Patel, who's fellow of the Ikan School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York. So thank you for joining us today, Dr. Patel. Um, our first question is about using PDL1 as a biomarker in different tumor types. Is there any consistent relevance of PDL1 status across tumor types, or is it strictly a case of specific roles for specific cancers? Um, yeah, so, you know, PDL1 testing was the first potential biomarkers to be brought on for immune checkpoint inhibitors, just basically on uh, the drug's direct mechanism of action in that it relies on the PD1, PDL1 axis. However, the value and the practicality of PDL1 testing in clinical trials as well as practice has not been consistent across the different tumor types. We actually looked at this question in a review that we did uh, last year and that we reviewed all FDA approvals of immune checkpoint inhibitors up until April 2019. And during this period, we looked at 45 uh, different indications of uh, immune checkpoint inhibitors that were approved across 15 different tumor types. And we looked at all the clinical trials that led to these approvals. And 80% of these clinical trials had tested PDL1 as a potential biomarker. But um, only uh, about 35% of these uh, actually were predictive, 
where PDL1 was predictive of the response to immune therapy. And uh, majority of these that were predictive end, uh, ended up getting an FDA approval uh, with a companion PDL1 diagnostic. And when you look at the specific tumor types, bladder and non-small cell lung cancer um, have the most uh, multiple indications for PDL1 companion diagnostics along with the immune checkpoint inhibitor approval. Uh, non-small cell lung cancer having the most approvals. And you know, this sort of shows that PDL1 is an imperfect biomarker. And there are a lot of issues that are likely at play that explain some of the variability between the different tumor types. Um, you know, I think firstly, uh, these PDL1 tests that were used have uh, variability in their assays that were used and the platform that it was used on, as well as the cutoff value for the PDL1 expression. Secondly, um, you know, some of these were tested uh, for PDL1 expression just on tumor cells. Um, other tumor types had it tested on tumor as well as immune cells, uh, and then some only on immune cells. So the testing itself explains some of the variability, and likely there are differences underlying as well uh, in terms of the biology of the different cancer, in that you know the immune and tumor interactions are highly dynamic and complex, and they sort of are heterogeneous when you look at it spatially in, in, in terms of space as well as temporally, in that you know the PDL expression uh, may change over time when you when the tumor gets exposed to different therapies. Um, so you know I think in an effort to at least harmonize the testing, uh, there is a partnership that's currently ongoing um, uh, between industry and academics called a Blueprint Project which is basically testing all of these different assays and platforms um, and understanding the similarities as well as differences and figuring out the reasons why some of the results are different between the platforms. Is it related to the antibody um, that, that, that's used or the particular epitopes uh, on the PDL1 protein? So, you know, that will at least take away some of the variability, but uh, obviously, the biology is something that's intrinsic to the different tumor types. Thank you. That's really interesting. So, focusing on NSCLC specifically, can PDL1 be used as a reliable predictor response to treatment with a checkpoint inhibitor in this group? And if so, can this direct between specific agents or combinations? Yes. So, um, you know, PDL1 expression was. Uh, firstly approved in non-small cell lung cancer back in 2015 uh, in, in, in conjunction with pembrolizumab in the second line setting after uh, you know, the patients progressed on chemotherapy with a, with a high cutoff value of 50%. And since then, several single agent immune checkpoint inhibitors have been approved with uh, PD-L1 companion diagnostic. And you know this has been very consistent um, across the board between different types of immune checkpoint inhibitors. So there must be, you know, there may be something that's intrinsic within non-small cell lung cancer that is different from other tumor types. Interestingly, though, the trend is moving away from PDL1 testing somewhat, and that has to do with the fact that now these immune checkpoint inhibitors have been very efficacious in combination with chemotherapy. So when immune therapy is combined with chemo, uh, it seems that the 
the importance and the value of PDL1 as a biomarker is no longer there, in that these approvals are in all on all comers and unselected patients. So it will be interesting to see whether PDL1 testing remains important, uh, especially in these settings where you're going to be starting to use combination treatments of immunotherapy plus a second agent, whether that's chemo or other targeted therapy. Um, and I just wanted to briefly mention another tumor type, uh, bladder cancer, just because there was there was just an interesting development there. Um, in that, you know, initially, uh, for so for bladder cancer, first line treatment is, uh, you know, cisplatin-based chemotherapy uh, in the metastatic setting. However, uh, there are a lot of patients; about 50% of them are not eligible for cisplatin due to their other comorbidities and renal function. So, for these patients, initially, atezolizumab and pembrolizumab were approved as single agents. Uh, in the first-line setting uh, based on some of the phase two studies. However, um, later when, uh, you know, there have been other phase three studies that have been done that have been looking at chemoimmunotherapy versus immunotherapy alone versus chemotherapy alone. And uh, the data and safety monitoring committees, particularly for two phase three trials, Invigor 130 and Keynote 361 for Atizo and Pembro respectively, uh, found that those patients that had low PDL1 expressing tumors ha were having higher frequency of deaths uh, compared to the chemotherapy group. So later, the FDA and the European Medical Agency restricted the label for the use of first-line atezolizumab and Pembro only in high PDL1 expressing tumors in cisplatin eligible patients. So uh, that sort of changed within a year, year and a half time point. So initially it was unselected patients, and now it's only approved for the high PDL1 expressing tumors. Thank you. That was a very informative answer. So turning to scoring systems, does a practicing oncologist necessarily need to know the difference between a TPS and a CPS? And do you see an increasing role for CPS, or will this also be more relegated to specific indications and in cancers? Yeah, so, you know, as you mentioned, the scoring systems have been variable across different immunotherapies that have been used and across different tumor types. And just to kind of backtrack, you know, TPS is a um, tumor proportion score in that it measures the PDL1 expression only on the tumor cells versus CPS, which is combined positive scores, which looks at PDL1 expression on tumor cells as well as immune cells in the tumor microenvironment. And, you know, a lot of the practicality of which one to use is purely really based on what they considered in the clinical trials uh, for these drug approvals. And unfortunately, you know, there is no specific formula. You know, I think for some of the initial studies for lung cancer, TPS was used. And for bladder, you know, some of the combined um, assays were used. So it, it I think will, it, it may be related to sort of within time, um, you know, we've, we've kind of moved away from just purely looking at the tumor cells themselves. So uh, for now, you know, for a practicing oncologist, I think which one to use is uh, dependent on, um, first of all, what's available at your institutions, because institutions and clinics often use the same assay, even if, different assays were approved, um, you know, based on those clinical trials. Uh, 
so, and 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 so for for that it, it may not be practical to uh you know just abide by what was approved in the prior settings uh because of some institutional constraints so you know i think you have to go back to what the approvals were uh the specific approvals and and try to uh use it in that manner Okay, thank you. So in terms of daily clinical practice, what advice can you offer to our listeners about pdl one status? How significant is it to making treatment decisions with immunotherapies? Yeah, so, you know, in clinical practice, I mean, establishing uniform biomarkers for response to immunotherapies is a very challenging task, as we've seen. Immunotherapies have been approved for close to 10 years, but it's we're still having challenges with this and that that has to do with what i mentioned earlier in the dynamic and complex interactions between immune cells and tumor cells um, that happen in within space and also it changes or evolves over time and you know pdl1 emerged as the first predictive biomarkers but his, its value has thus far been limited only to a few tumor types and we know that because of this uh, initial sort of limited success, other biomarkers are now emerging. Um, you know, more specifically, tumor mutational burden, and many more are under investigation. The other point with PDL1 testing, it's unclear how combination treatments with chemo and other targeted therapies will alter the use of PDL1 testing. So, you know, a lot will be changing whether PDL1 testing will be used less in the future. But for now, I think oncologists and pathologists are to be careful when to utilize PDL1 testing um, and only to be used for the FDA approved settings and not try to broadly apply across different disease states and across different tumor types. Great. Thank you so much, Dr. Patel. That's really valuable advice that I'm sure our listeners will find really useful. Um, and thank you so much for answering all of our questions today. Uh, thank you for having me. And it was a pleasure to be able to discuss uh, on this topic. Thank you. So that brings us to the end of today's episode. To recap on key points we discussed, PDL1 remains an imperfect biomarker. And while it can influence treatment decisions in NSCLC in bladder cancer, it has limited use beyond these tumor types. However, the ICI biomarker space is evolving, with combination therapies influencing the utility of PDL1 status with other potential biomarkers currently under investigation. For now, it's important to use PDL1 testing only as indicated and not to apply it more broadly. Again, if you'd like to check out any of the publications that we've mentioned today, you'll find references for all these in the episode notes. So the next episode in our Immune Checkpoint Inhibitor series will be out in two weeks' time, and we'll be talking with Professor Frederick Pennell-Yorker about using cytology or histology samples when assessing pdl one status. If you enjoyed today, please do subscribe and join us then. And if you have time to leave us a review, we would love to hear your feedback. If you want more, you can also find free accredited continuing medical education on our website, onkit.com. And you can find a link to this in the episode notes. So please do check it out. If you're a Twitter fan, our handle is at onkip. Thank you and see you next time.